You all can have a seat. There is something for me about music and worship that it really unlocks my heart and mind. And I know that's true for a lot of you, not for everyone. I mean, we're all wired a little bit differently. But for me, um, I, I could do what we just did the entire hour, especially when I'm teaching. I could do that for the whole hour, especially then. And for many of you, I know it's the same as well. Something else that, that does it for me is prayer. There were over 80 of us at 40 Days for Life yesterday that were praying. And it was a powerful, powerful time. So many of you in the room were there as well. And, and we were representing the whole harbor, the whole church while we were there. When I was uh, in fifth grade, I joined the school band. I wanted to play drums. I'd heard someone play drums and it sounded cool and thought I would like to do that. It was uh, fortunate I decided to play drums because I was completely tone deaf, no sense of pitch at all. So if you know anything about instruments, if you want to play trumpet or saxophone or trombone and you are tone deaf, you're in big, big trouble. But drums, no problem. Uh, you don't need any kind of tone. And in fact, uh, no problem at all, except the problem that I had was I had an instructor that knew nothing about drums. He knew enough to say, here's some sticks, you hold them like this, and here's the drum, hit it, but not too loud. And that was the full extent of the instructions that we got. Fifth grade, sixth grade, halfway through seventh grade, same thing. Just so much frustration. This, I'd, I'd heard good drumming before, and, and I thought, I want to know how to do that, but I, I, I can't get from here to there. And halfway through seventh grade, I look back with surprise. My school, this uh, uh, really you know, poor school in deep South Texas, hired this guy that was the, you won't believe this, uh, he was, for many years running, he was the national rudimental drum champion. You didn't know that existed, did you? But there was, a, there was a championship, a national championship. This guy won several years in a row, and they hired him to come for one hour to teach the five or six of us that were drummers that had learned how to hold the sticks, and that was about it, and make noise. And so he spent this hour, and he, he taught us about these rudiments, or the fundamentals, the basics of playing the drums. And I think there were 13 fundamental ones that he taught us that day. And, and he played what it sounded like when he played it, and it was stunning. And then he said, let me break it down for you. Let me do it really slow for you and show you piece by piece by piece. And he did that for all 13. He would say, this is in a, in a rudiment uh, with drums. It's a... Um, it's, it's a strike or a combination of strikes that you would do that are fundamental. And he would tell us accurately, if you learn to do these 13, if you learn to do them really well, you can provide infinite combinations. You can play almost anything on the drums. So the key is, though, as you're learning, just start really slow. And he started slow for us. He said, this is how you make this strike and this strike. And, and he said, do it right in the beginning. Go as slow as you have to go, and as you get better and better and better, you can pick up speed, and you can play anything. So I went home, and I took him in his word, and I started really, really slow. It, it sounded less than fundamental, but really, really slow, and I just kept doing that and doing that and doing that, and to never had another lesson in my life. To my surprise, the next five years, I would make all-region band and then make an all-state band because this guy had just sim simply taught me just the very, very basics. Now, let me put my drum skills in perspective, if you will. Like, I played one single drum. Like, I played a snare drum. You don't want to hear just a snare drum. That's all I could play. Larry was playing. Jason often was playing. They, four different kinds of drums. 
like four different kinds of symbols. And sometimes it seems like they're playing all of it at once. They just have two hands, two feet somehow. I don't know how they do that. Like that is talent on the drums. That's talent on the drums. But I tell you the story because we began last week talking about Romans 6. And we talked about one of the sweetest promises that God has ever made to people. Let me read it again. It's verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. It's this sweet promise. He's saying that, that you will become more and more like Jesus. The, the sin in your life that's doing damage to you and to other people, the sin, the stuff that's ugly, it will begin to fall off of you as you walk through this life with me, and you'll become more and more like Jesus. And it's so compelling, it's so sweet, so encouraging, but... I know a lot of you heard that, and you thought, I know I'm following Jesus, but I haven't experienced that promise come true in my life. In fact, many of you would know what Paul would say in the very next chapter, and you would resonate with this. Romans 7, verses 18 to 21, and then 24, Paul would say in the very next chapter, he would say, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's a sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life. When I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I know last Sunday, and I know a number of you were thinking, that's a sweet promise, that's so cool, but I would love that. I have the vision. I want to go there. I want to get there. I want to be that person. I just don't know how. And maybe you're thinking, I've been in this journey following Jesus for years. I just don't know how to go from where I am now to where I am, where I would be that kind of person, have that kind of life. And so I want to talk again about where we began last week about God's part in this. And I, I mentioned only one thing, and there'll be three key things. We'll, we'll cover a second one today and a third next Sunday. And then I'll, I'll begin to talk about what I said. There's our part to it. And there are two key parts. We'll talk about the very first one today. So last week I said there's this part that God does. When, when you and I trust Jesus, he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. He changes something fundamentally in us at a spiritual level at a heart level, at a spirit level, then we, we are bent toward wanting and yearning to follow him, to be obedient. And we're bent toward that. Before that, we're bent away from him. Our tendency is away from him. There's this new bent. There's this new spiritual DNA. He's done that within us. There's a second thing that he's done, and I'll begin to spell it out in Romans 7, verses 4 and 6. Paul would write, Now you are united with the one who is raised from the dead. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. You're united with the one who was raised from the dead. That's Jesus. You are united with him. You are in union with him. And there's this new way of living in the spirit. So this is the second thing that he's done for us to give us this new life. where We become more and more like Jesus. After giving us a new heart and new spirit, he invites us into this intimate relationship with himself. To walk through, to live and breathe, walk through the hours and days and weeks and months of this intimate relationship with him. So let me go back to what Paul would write in chapter 7. Biblical scholars have heard him talk about, man, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. And, 
And scholars have looked at that and said, well, he must be speaking about those that haven't begun to follow Jesus yet, because that's their experience. And indeed it is, isn't it? If you're not trusted Jesus, then that's the experience of life. I, I want to do the right thing, but so often I fail. But, but they would say, but surely it's not after you begin to follow Jesus. But, but Paul is saying, I, he's saying, I, and the best scholars I read say there's no clue that he's just using that figuratively. His suggestion is he's saying, I have, I have had this other experience, though. And every Christ follower I know, and maybe you're the exception, if so, after the service, I don't want to hear about it because it'd be discouraging to know you're perfect in this, but, but every other Christ follower I know has had this experience of what I want to do, I don't, what I don't want to do, I do at one time or another. And so let me read it one more time, and let me put this emphasis because in those few short lines, there are 13 times, okay, the one that's in union with Christ, the one that's delivered this way, 13 times says the word I, 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 I. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. So what a miserable person I am. There's this picture of someone, and this isn't, it's not that he's twisted. I mean, this is just kind of a pattern we all can fall into. He has this relationship with Jesus. He learns to be more like Christ. He learns to, to, to cease the sinning in his life. And so now he goes out throughout the day and begins to think, I'm not going to be envious anymore. I will not be envious anymore. I won't be greedy. I won't be impatient. I won't lust. I won't lose my temper. I won't, I won't, I won't. And, and he finds that he just can't do it. It's like there's this, there's this union, but and you, I've been there. You have too, where now he goes off apart from that union. It, it, it's not like we can separate from Jesus, but it's like we kind of spin our head around and we're going to do it now on our own. We're going to do it. I think that's what Paul is writing about when we on our own decide, I, I yearn to, I want to be like Jesus, and now I will go do that. I will go do it with my own power, my own intent, my own effort. This is a key thing. That, that becomes a really a legal arrangement, doesn't it? Like God doesn't want a legal relationship with you. He wants a love relationship doesn't want this legal relationship where I, I get it. Hey, we're good. We have a relationship. Now I'm going to go do it right now. I'll check back with you. I'll check back with you. In Romans chapter 8, the next chapter, the first um, 17 verses refers to the Spirit 15 times. It, it's all about this Spirit that Paul has already said that now that, that there's this new way of living in the Spirit. And in chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, this is what he writes. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Letting the Spirit control your mind. It's, it's this um, living in relationship with the Spirit. So, so this is the first thing that is our part in this. This is the first of two things. Our part is to walk intimately with God in the details of our lives. 
It's to walk intimately with him in the details of our lives. It's not to have this great prayer time with God and, and uh, you know, whatever that may look like, and then go off and say, hey, I'll, I'll do the rest of the day by myself. I'll check back with you later. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. It's not that. It's to walk intimately with God in the details of our lives. Now, that sounds great and holy, but this is where I think there's great value in saying, if you want to, to live that way, can I give you, can I break it down to the rudiments of it? Like to some fundamentals of it. And what I'm going to give you isn't the only rudiment of it. It happens to be the most effective one that I've ever experienced in my entire life. 30 years ago, a pastor said someone had told this to him, given him this, uh, this new fresh practice. And he says, changed my life so much, I want to pass it on to you. And uh, so this is what I'm going to share with you. He passed on to me. It wasn't original with him or the one before him, the one before that. But this is what he said. And this was 30 years ago. So this is before electronic devices and stuff. He said, go out and buy you a spiral notebook. So th I did. This is the one I bought like 30 years ago. Buy you a spiral notebook. Today you might get an electronic device out. But he said, said this is what I found helpful. I found in the morning... I, I'm going to sit down with my spiral notebook, and I'm going to write out some things before God with God. I'm going to write them out. And, and I could resonate with his personality because he would describe about not being a writer, and, and, and I'm, I'm not a writer. If you ever get a handwritten note from me, like frame it. I mean, frame it, because there are very, very few out there. You have one of the select few. I am not a writer. But as I heard the idea behind it, this person was describing my, my mind bounces all over the place. I can't focus, especially when I'm talking to God. And, and this person said, when I, when I stop and when I write, I can stay focused. It, it slows me down and I can really process, I can really pace things out. And, and just the idea of staying focused with God, I needed that. Slowing down, I needed that. And added gain, I had no idea. Of, I've got this chronicle now of the work of God now. In my life, in my family's life, going back. So it's been 30 years. So I'm going now. Like this is what, March the 7th? So I go back to March the 7th, 30 years ago. I read the work of God in my life 30 years ago now. So, so this is what he was saying. He said, this is, he said, this is what I write. And I found the practice to fit me and so many others so well. He said, I begin with reflection. I write down the word yesterday. I underline it. And I simply began to write down what yesterday's experience was, who I met with, who I talked with, what I did, what I felt yesterday, what went well yesterday, what didn't go well. I just began to chronicle yesterday. And, and this, is, this is basically what he was saying to do. He's saying, live an examined life. And it helped me when I began to think about other places that are other things that are worth examining. And, and I've been a sports fan since I was this big. And, and a bunch of you realize that every NFL team, I, the day after the game, like they sit down and they, they watch video of every single play, every single movement, slow motion, backward forward. You know what they're doing? They're living an examined life about the game. They're thinking this game is so important so we don't repeat the same mistakes next Sunday and the next and the next. We're going to live this examined life around the game. We're going to see what we did wrong and fix it if we can. See what we did right and continue that if we can. And I began to think about that. And actually now it plays over into the harbor. Did you know every single Tuesday, the tech team, the worship team, the pastors all, all review the services we've done? You know Why? We don't want to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. 
The things that work, we want to repeat them again. We do that every single week, every Tuesday. Almost every message that I give, painful as it may be, I go back and I watch it. This last Wednesday, I was, uh, I was at the house. I was watching the message from, from last week, and Marie happened to pass by me, and I was giving some illustration in uh, watching the video, and she paused and said, I don't remember you telling that story. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm watching the video of the first service, and you came to the second service. I forgot to tell the story of the second service. <laughs> so you guys are the first service. You got the whole thing last week. I don't know if I'm going to use this example at the second service because I don't want to know if I want, if I want to confess to them that like, they missed out. There was this great illustration. It won't fit this week. Like, I just lost it. But, I, but I'll watch because I want to see if there's a, like a new twitch that I started doing. That I don't, it's, you're distracting. And so painful as it is, and it takes half an hour. The fact that I have to watch it keeps me from pre- preaching longer because I'm going to have to watch it. So but it, it's just this sense. I don't want to repeat the same mistakes. I want to improve and get better. There are things in life that are worth examining, and I would suggest to you, we dare not live an unexamined life. We dare not live an unexamined life. We need to stop and slow down and examine. That's what this reflection, that's what this yesterday does. It's sitting with God and reflecting on what happened yesterday. The second thing is this. Is, is to pray, and these will be written prayers, and this is the balanced prayer life I would suggest here. There are other ways you can do it. I would suggest using the acronym ACTS, which a number of you are aware of, A-C-T-S, and to take time and, and work through each of those in writing a prayer to God. The A would stand for adoration. It would be to begin with, with reflecting before God and writing out the things about Him that are of great value and worth, His attributes. His holiness, His power, His grace, His love, His infinite knowledge, on and on and on. To, to write down his, his activity that you know of, that He's done, the things that you, you greatly adore and worship about Him. It may be to take one of the worship songs that's resonating with you and, and to actually sing that or hum that or write the lyrics out of that and, and worship Him in that. Maybe to take a psalm or part of a psalm. This to spend adequate time with God to to get crystal clear in his presence who he is and what he's done and what he will do. Get crystal clear on that. And then move from writing that. So I will write down adoration and I'll write down this prayer of adoration to him. And then move to confession. And this is where so much of the change happens. And then it's to write down not just a general, broad, safe confession. You know, I sinned yesterday. I'm really sorry I did but to write down the specific sins before him and be honest. Yeah, yesterday, I, I blew my top. Yesterday, I cheated on this. Yesterday, I experienced lust. I, I lied yesterday. Writing, writing it down, there's um, something disturbing and very um, productive in seeing that. There's this chance before God say, I, I did this. And of course, you know it, God, already. And there's this sense because of Jesus, I also know he's already forgiven me, which makes me love him even more because I'm looking at it thinking how ugly that is. And, and, and he saw it. He knows about it. I'm confessing. This is what I did. I, I am so sorry I did this. And knowing that he's already forgiven me and, and making sure I cover, go through the whole day and cover those. What I find is that 
maybe the ones that are more tenacious, I find if I write it down a second day, and then the third day, and then the seventh day, and the eighth day, and the ninth day, there's some point of just, I am so sick of it. Like, I'm going to, if I could, like, cut it off, I would cut off an arm and do it. I would do that. There's something about that, and God works in that. This is where so much of the change happens. Did I just spit on you? I'm sorry, I spit. I just, poof. <laughs> it's nice having people in the front row. It used to be people wouldn't sit there because I would spit too much. So anyway, that's a sidetrack then. We're on confession, aren't we? So, so anyway, I forgot what I was going to say about that. But it's really, really important. And this is where the change happens. This is where, where we become more and more like Jesus. Right? We become the new person, the new creation then in this time of confession. And then, and then the, the T is thanksgiving to spend some time thanking him for maybe for, for who he is, maybe for what he's done. But item by item, line by line, just thanking him. And by the time you do that, it's like, man, if, you, if you're not elevating in your spirit, um, go back and start again. And then it's time to get to the S, which is supplication, which is this big word for just saying ask. And so I, I run down for me, I will ask things for my family about my family, and I'll ask things for and about my friends, and then I'll ask things for and about the harbor, and that can go on for a long time, because there's a lot of stuff at the harbor here. And then there's another ministry for pastors called Sunscape that we're passionate about. I'll, I'll pray about that, and then I'll pray about my life, and, and then maybe other specifics as well, but this is wide open time because I'm, I'm remembering who I'm before. I, how great he is and what his heart is, what his history is, how he loves me, even in my brokenness, all that. And the ask are, they are big and they are bold. Simply to ask him the things I want to ask of him then. And then there's this next step, and it's really, it's just part of prayer as well. But it's to have time to be sure that I listen for him. I'm trying to listen while I'm doing the A-C-T-S, but... Be sure I have time to listen. And I found it helps if I ask some questions. If I don't just say, is there anything you want to say? I do, I do say that. It helps to ask some other questions. So I'll, I'll ask him, what is the next step in my relationship with you? And what's the next step in the relationship with you? What is the next step in my character? What do you want to work on, me to work on with you in your midst on my character? What's the next step in my family life? Or you may say, what's the next step in my friendships? What's the next step in my work? And, and to spend adequate time just listening and waiting. And there's some, there's some days I feel some clear promptings of God saying, here's what I want to say about that. Other days I, d I don't sense anything, and that's fine too. I, I think then God has said all that he wants to say then. In that, the biggest gain that I have, when I spend that time, I, I experience the presence of God. I am so much clear about who he is and what he's doing. And that, friends, is priceless, utterly priceless then. I talked about uh, holding some drumsticks and having a drum, just being able to bang and make noise. I talked about the effect of someone coming up and saying, hey, can I give you some rudiments? And there were five or six of us that were in that hour teaching. And I think I was the only one that actually went and did it. I think the others thought, hey, cool. 
And, and at first it was baby steps with it. It was, it, it was still just noise, but it, man, it was very, very basic and rudimentary. But I kept doing that for five and a half years. And, and what was cool was I could make some cool sounds on a drum, just a snare drum. I wish I could do it on that, just a snare drum. And all the other stuff that came with it was all icing on the cake. And this is my suggestion to you. If, man, if your relationship with Jesus isn't soaring, and if you're not experiencing this deal about the power of sin has been defeated and all, then this is this profound rudiment. I would hope that you would yearn for that. If you're not experiencing that with him now, you would yearn for it so much you'd be willing to try anything. And I would hope you would trust me in this one thing. And I would hope you would, you would either buy you one of these or you would get your electronic device out. And you would have notes or there's some notes online from this. And you would begin to practice this. And I would say, don't just do it for a day. But do it for a second day, and a third day, and a fourth day. And here's the challenge. Easter is 28 days away. Hey, do it between now and Easter. I am so confident that you'll be so glad you did. You'll be, a, you'll be a different person in your relationship with God. I'm so confident of that, that if you're not, you can come up to me on Easter morning and say, I tried it, it didn't work. And out of our bank account, I will buy you a gift card to my favorite restaurant. Golden arches. <laughs> I, I will do that. I say that in jest. I say that just trying to emphasize, I, I don't believe you will regret the investment. If you yearn to know what God said in the promise, his promise is, man, the power of sin has been defeated. There may be other ways that you can get there. This is the one I've found for 30 years and many people found as well. I invite you into that. I invite you into it. Father, you are so good. Thank you for giving us uh, small, simple, tangible steps. They're not complicated. They're not difficult. Um, you don't have to be geniuses to do them. Thank you for working in simple steps. Thank you for meeting us in such clear ways. Thank you for the way that you have met and continue to meet me, Father, through all these years. Thank you for every hungry heart here, for everyone here who, wherever they're at in the journey, to think, you know, I want more. I want to know him better. I want to love him better. I want to be changed more to be like Jesus. Thank you for every hungry heart. I pray that the hungry hearts here will boldly step into this and just take the chance that you'll work in this and you'll meet them in this. And they'll come to know you and love you with so much more abandon and be transformed by you in ways that are so compelling and so rewarding to them in the process, Father. I say this with great hopes and anticipation. In Jesus' name, amen.